Welcome to Morning Devotion with Ken Gurley. Devotions designed to inspire you on your daily walk with God. Here's your host, Ken Gurley. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Morning Devotion. Yes, here we are. Another day, another great day to be alive. Another great day to see some good things happen. A little technical hiccups. You may have read about it early this morning. A lot of websites acting goofy. I hope we can avoid that, but I will say that I had some difficulty this morning pulling things together. So who knows? But I'm glad you're here and we're here. We're all here for just a moment. That's that's pretty amazing in itself after what all you've been through. So Ginger, Reyes, Lonnie, Joe, thank you. Thank you for being here. You make today very, very special. A lot of great things happening. A lot of momentous, significant things happening. Uh, for those of you in the area, if you're able to make it to the 75th annual camp meeting up in Lufkin, uh, what a great time. We're headed up there in a bit and looking forward to seeing everybody and hearing the great word of God, worshiping together and celebrating in that momentous occasion. This Sunday, Josh Herring, evangelist Josh Herring will be with us in parallel. Looking forward to seeing much accomplished in the kingdom. But today, today is about you and an encounter with God. The great MD family, morning devotion, 2021. Like, share, follow the page. You know the drill. Get the word out. Let's see some new folks, some brand new folks right out of the people factory. Brand new folks joining (laughs) this morning devotion. And I just believe God's got something special for each of us and for all of us. Uh, Happy about today, this Tuesday, June 8th. They say, but I say, a new moon in the moral universe. What a great subject. It was Gerald Gaff and Kathy Birkenstein. They wrote a book a while back called They Say, I Say. And they talked about the importance of and the power of challenging conventional wisdom, identifying something that everybody thinks to be true, and then pointing out how either it's an error, incomplete, or it's not being fully understood. For example, they say money talks, but I say money corrupts. That's an example of they say, I say, challenging the conventional wisdom. Now, it's not merely being a contrarian or iconoclast, just You know those people. It don't matter what you say. They're going to take the opposite. If you say the grass is green, the fence is white, the sky is blue, they're going to say, no, the grass is sort of chartreuse and the fence is a little more gray than white. The sky, uh, there's nothing blue. You, You know, you understand. No, that's not what I'm talking about. The method of they say, I say, is to take what's commonly thought of as fact and to point out how that is not the case how there is a better understanding. In fact, some of the greatest exploration, inventions, discoveries have involved that very approach. Columbus said the world is is, is not uh, finite. They say it's finite. I say you can reach the east by sailing west. Copernicus says 
sun, they say the sun revolves around the earth, but I say it's opposite. And of course, what he said was controversial, but years later, Galileo's telescope proved it. It's not just science, it's our perspectives. It's what we hold dear, what we accept, the truth we may ignore in our life. Sometimes the breakthrough you and I need, David, Sue, Pamela, Sandra, the breakthrough that you and I need is staring us in the face and it's taking something we thought to be true and choosing to believe otherwise. For some, the ancient, the old Protestants called it the anguish of the light to face up to some forgotten unknown truth. For others, it's a Damascus Road experience, a difficult moment to hear heaven say, I am Jesus. And suddenly, Paul, everything he believed to that moment went out the window to challenge accepted and conventional wisdom may be risky. Why? Because much of it's true. It's what we usually call common sense. But some of it is not true. Or that which is true is often misapplied. And to challenge that current way of thinking is a way to make us think more clearly. They say, I say, there's a new moon in the moral universe. That's how jarring, that's how refreshing, that's how enlightening it is when you stumble upon a truth by challenging conventional wisdom. I believe, I believe in this group today. Dustin, it's good to see you. It's good to see my YouTube crowd on here. It's good to see Facebook crowd. But can I just say that this morning in morning devotion, I believe this is what I just felt impressed early this morning to talk about. I believe that there is some conventional wisdom that you're running up against like a a barrier, a barricade, a fence, a mountain that you need to challenge this morning. Challenge in prayer. They say, but I say six times. Six. Six is the number of men. And six times Jesus said, they say, but I say. Six is our number. Six is you. Six is me. Six times Jesus said, they say, but I say. In other words, he challenged, he defied conventional wisdom. If you know the Sermon on the Mount, you know that's where he said all six of them. The they and they say were none other than the teachers and the experts in the law. And Jesus said, don't think I've come to destroy the law. I've come to fulfill it. Don't, don't listen to what they say. I'm saying this. I'm saying that if your righteousness is not greater than that of the Pharisees, teachers of the law, you'll never see the kingdom of heaven at work in your life. Can you imagine the reaction of people sitting there listening to Jesus that day? I mean, the Pharisees were the creme de la creme. They were the cat's meow. What does the cat's meow even mean? I don't know. Somebody please look that up and consult the prophet Google and put it out in the comments so that we can see it. The cat's meow. I mean, they, the Pharisees were the most righteous of them all. They'd taken the law of God and reduced them to 613 rules and took those 613 rules, beefed them up with another 1,521 supporting rules. 
They fasted twice a week. They refused to look at women. They prayed and read scriptures constantly. They tithed on even the weeds that grew in their yards. And Jesus said, what? He said, hey, folks, you got to be more holy than those guys. Wow. How demoralizing. How disheartening. And what Jesus did in the heart of the Sermon on the Mount is to take man's understanding of the written law, they say, and push it farther than anyone but Jesus Christ could ever push it. The Sermon on the Mount, as one writer said, introduced a new moon in the moral universe that exerts a force of gravity ever since. Here we go, six times, six times. Did anybody find out the meaning of cat's meow yet? Mark, D, Mary, do you know the meaning of cat's meow? I mean, I don't know what that means, but anyway. Um, okay, thank you, Jenny. I appreciate you. The, the spirit's willing, but you said other people's fingers are faster to fight. Okay. Oh, here we go. Here we go. So in the opening chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus hits us pretty fast with the Beatitudes. And if those don't lay you low, then he tells us that we're the salt and the light of the earth. And so it's after the Beatitudes before the Lord's Prayer that Jesus rocked his hearer's world. He lofts a new moon into orbit that has so much pull. It disrupted everything they ever knew about the law. Thank you, Luke. Hold it. The cat's meow. The cat's meow. I, I just saw it go fly by. The cat's meow is an expression referred to something that is considered outstandings by cartoonists. The cat's meow, Kirk, is something. We should have just called this the cat's meow today. Come on, folks. This is. Where was my mind at? Where is my mind at right now? Okay, back to back to Matthew 5. They say, but I say. And here we go. Here we go. You're going to need the cat's meow here because gets, this gets deep fast. Are you ready? Buckle up. Buckle up. Because as I read over these six, these six, they say, but I say, that are found in chapter 5 of Matthew. Can I just tell you that one or more of them are going to strike you as we go through them? It's just the way the word of God is. It's the way it was meant to be. None of us leave unaffected, untouched by these words printed in red ink. For Jesus goes to the heart of our understanding and he disrupts it. And he says, I'm going to show you what life should really be. And I can't help but imagine the reaction of the crowd that day, astonished. He spoke with one as authority. They say, but I say, what authority? And that voice eclipsed all others. So buckle up. Here we go. Six times, Jesus said, they say, but I say. I'll paraphrase what Jesus said, then we'll go back and look in more detail and going to need my scribes at work here. Yolanda, Tessie, get ready. Here we go. Number one, they say, don't kill. I say, don't be ticked off. Don't be angry. Oh, ouch, ouch. Don't kill. That's the sixth commandment. That's yet the letter of the law failed to explain the spirit of the law. Jesus challenged the conventional wisdom 
don't kill. He said it means more than just don't slay somebody, murder somebody. He said if you're angry with your brother, if you're constantly cursing and talking down to people, judgment's coming. They say don't kill. I say check your anger at the door. For anger is like acid. It destroys the inward man of the heart. It murders relationship. Do you see what Jesus did here? He went from the act of killing. He went from the law, the sixth law, chiseled in stone, to the spirit and life behind the law. For that's the where the answer is. That's the victory. The second one, they say, Jesus said, they say, don't commit adultery. I say, don't lust. Don't commit adultery. Well, now we're on the seventh commandment. And that's pretty clear. Yeah, they say that. They say don't commit adultery. But Jesus said, let's take this a little further. Let's don't lust at all. Don't look at a woman to lust after her, to commit adultery in your heart. You may not have committed adultery in the flesh, but it's in the heart. Is anybody going ouch yet? It sounds so far into our ear today. Adultery in the flesh is excused. We've got no-fault divorce, at least in this state. And Jesus said, not only is adultery wrong, but why don't you get to the root, the lust behind it all? This comes Here comes one of those incredibly hard sayings of the Lord Jesus Christ. If your right eye causes you to sit and pluck it out, better to lose part of the body and be saved than to suffer hell intact. What? Jesus said that? Meek and mild and lowly Jesus, that Jesus would say such a thing. I just want to go on the record here today. I want to go on the record. Listen, Brenda, Edna, Wallace, I want to go on the record. Here we go. You ready? I want to go on the record. I've seen a lot of passion plays in my life, but that's one line I've never seen make it into the script. Jesus knew man's heart, and he knew the answer for life change is in the heart. The third one, they say, Divorce is okay. Jesus said, in effect, think again. They say, it's okay. I say, think again. I, it's not my job. It's not my position. It, I, God didn't appoint me judge of the universe. I tried. I really tried that one time. But, you know, you kind of, if you've got a conscience, it sort of bothers you a little bit. It bothers you a lot because you realize how flawed you are and how can you, how can you address people's flaws when you realize how flawed you are. But the Bible says divorce is treacherous and that God hates divorce. But when you witness the Lord's treatment of the woman of well Samaria, married five times, shacked up with another, imperfect though she was, she became his vessel. But this third defiance, they say don't divorce, I say, I say, look to the root of it all. Jesus said, they say, if you want a divorce, put it in writing. And here's what he's going back to the law. Back then, under Moses' era, people were, men were divorcing their wives for any reason. All they had to do was verbally say, I divorce you. And they sent them packing till the dishes stacked up. Then they'd welcome them back. And that was that. You'll always notice that in scripture, it's the male doing the divorce. Because in Bible's day, days, a man could divorce his wife, not the other way around. Matthew 19 adds further explanations that 
The put it in writing was during Moses' time for the hardness of people's heart. But Jesus said, wait a minute. If there's no fornication, if there's no deep sexual immorality, then by divorcing a person, you cause the wife you divorced to become an adulteress and you want to marry her to become adultery. Did anybody ever catch those lines in the latest passion play? No, these are difficult sayings. What Jesus did was go to the root of the all, of it all. This is the relationships. One as sacred as marriages, where a husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. It's a miniature picture, a microcosm of the divine romance. It's the first three they say, but I say. These are a new moon launched in the moral universe. Let me briefly mention the other three, and then I want to I want to show what Jesus meant by all this. They say, swear by heaven. Jesus said, this is number four, don't swear at all. People back then swore by heaven, swore by the king, swore by the moon, swore by the earth, apparently trying to make their words true or more true. Jesus said, there's no need to swear. Let your yeas be yeas, your nays be nays. If you speak truth, not just when you swear, but speak truth all the time. Yes, it should be spoken in love, but speak truth all the time. No need to swear. The fifth one, they say, get even. I say, give it away. Yeah. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. That's the system of retribution and vengeance so endemic to the law. It's a very part of the law. Jesus said, if they want to fight, don't fight back. Turn the other cheek. If someone compels you to go one mile, go the second mile. If they want your coat, give them your cloak also. Don't just walk around fighting over your rights, trying to get back and trying to get even. That doesn't cause you to be like Jesus. He didn't slap away the nails in his hands. He didn't reject the cross. He submitted, Isaiah said, as a sheep before his shearers. He was dumb. Submit. Don't get even. Give it away. And then the sixth one. They say, love your friends. I say, love your enemies. This is a new moon in the moral universe. Through the years, the hearers of Jesus had understood it to be, it's okay to hate those who hate you and love those who love you. But we carry two buckets, hate and love. It's hard for a believer to carry both. Inevitably, they spill over and they affect us and they affect others. Hate is too heavy a burden to carry. That's what Martin Luther King Jr. said. It's too heavy a burden. Choose love. And this may be a good way to conclude that they say, but I say. Jesus began by saying, except your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were known by rule keeping, not relationship. Known for perfectionism, not graciousness. I think this is what Jesus is saying here. If we try to be perfect, live perfect, do picture perfect things. We're always going to let ourselves down and let others. Jesus chose six sayings to represent the 613 commandments of the law. He chose the six intentionally. He chose the number six because that's the day you and I were created, the sixth day. Humanity created on the sixth day. He revealed that left to ourselves, we can't even obey one commandment 
Eve, Adam, they couldn't obey one commandment. In our nature dwells no good things. And here's where we must be careful. Some will say, I must be perfect and drive themselves to do right, live right, walk right in the power of the flesh. Not going to happen, folks. It won't happen. It can't happen. And that perfectionistic tendency will either drive us to scorekeeping and Phariseeism and supposed righteousness and hypocrisy where we mask our own flaws and failures, or, and quite often it drives people just to give up. And they say, I may as well throw in the towel. I I can't live up to this. But what should it do? What the law should do, what Jesus' six sayings here should do, is cause us to say, in myself, I can't do it. I can't live up to the standards, but I'm going to strive to do so. Because in my striving to live up to the standards and facing my own faults and failures, I learn the power, the sustaining power of grace. And Jesus said that sums up all of the law, all of the they said. I can sum it up with one word, love. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. That love is the answer to it all. Jesus lives the ideal. He launches a new moon in the moral universe. He says, strive for that, reach for that. That's the righteous standard by which you will be judged. Unlike the modern teachings of Jesus, Jesus never lowered the standard. He always pointed us to that higher standard, always lifted a higher way of living before us. And he bids us to move in that direction and to strive for the ideal. But when we fall and when we fail, there's a hand that reaches us and keeps us. It says in striving for the ideal, understand that there's always grace, there's always mercy, and there's always love to get you back on track. I, th- I read an article a while back. Let me tell you the story. And then I'll wrap this up. And I I think it captures what Jesus was saying in a vivid way, in a way we can grasp. A family adopted an older child from a horrific orphanage overseas. They brought her to this country, brought her to their home. On the first day, they walked her to her room. She was shown her room. It was all neat, very little girlish and just what a girl would want. And they told her, said, now it's your responsibility to keep the room clean. When the child heard what was expected of her, she didn't fixate on the love these people had for her. She fixate, fixated on her obligation or responsibility. She saw it as her way to live up to the family's expectations, to merit their love, to pay them back. She fell back into that orphanage way of thinking. If I do right, then I can stay. If I meet or exceed expectations, then I am loved. And each morning when her parents came to her room, it was immaculate. They would find her seated on a a made up bed and she would say, my room is clean. Can I stay? Do you love me? And each day when she spoke those words, she broke her parents' heart because they knew she didn't yet understand what love was all about. Eventually, she learned that her parents loved her unconditionally, and she'd always be a part of the family, not as a guest, not as a latecomer, but as a child 
a child of parents who loved her. And this is, this is what you and I need to learn. And we can't do things out of a performance mentality that somehow we're going to merit his attention, his affection, his love. We've got to realize we are loved. And it's that love that should cause us to reciprocate. That love will cause us to excel and grow. That love will cause us to rise and let that new moon of the moral universe, where Jesus challenges our conventional thinking, where rule-bound religion that gives way to self-righteousness or hypocrisy is replaced with relationship-ruled faith that elevates a love of God that keeps us and that causes us to become truly a light in the dark world. Years ago, I read of someone who leapt to her death from a bridge, a young lady, and when her body was recovered, inside of a pocket was a word, was a note that had two words on it. They said, they said, that the rationale behind her committing suicide was, they said, they said. It implied that she had been bullied, put down. She was an outcast, ridiculed ostracized, rejected, marginalized, disenfranchised, put to the sidelines, put into the obscurity. They said, they said, what did they say? Did they, did they say, uh, we're left to imagine what they said? Did they call her fat? Did they call her ugly? Did they call her dumb? Had they made fun of the way she dressed or combed her hair or her relationships where she lived? They said, They said, can you get a hold of this right now? They said, what they say does not define who you are. They may say this and they may say that, but what does Jesus say? They say, but I say, he's got the words to eternal life and he's going to see you through. I gave you the six sayings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, the rewriting of the law, the launch of a new moon in the moral universe. I hope, I hope they challenged you. I hope they, they, they did something that caused you examine your heart. Because today, I believe you're going to march into this world and you're going to challenge some conventional wisdom and you're going to see God do something absolutely amazing in your life. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Share, share with the whole world. Tell them this is the cat's meow. God bless you. Look forward to seeing you tomorrow and may the Lord be with you. Thank you for listening to Morning Devotion with Ken Gurley. Join us next time for another inspiring devotion. To support this ministry, please visit firstchurch.com forward slash give.